you know more than you think you know yeah. as a founder. You know like the core DNA of your company. You're the one with the vision. Like, Don't let somebody convince you that you don't know that. Mm -hmm. And just have, have more confidence in yourself. Hey there, Powder Keg fans. Uh, this is episode 108 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we are speaking with Scott Johnson, who is the chairman and founder of project management software company Workfront and is also the founder of Motivocity, an employee recognition software platform that improves employee engagement and builds company culture. Really cool tool. I'm looking forward to talking about that with Scott today. Uh, so Scott is a tech entrepreneur, startup mentor, angel investor, uh, professor as well, has tons of years of experience as a leader and executive, starting and lead leading numerous companies of his own. And he is in town today all the way from Utah. Hey, thanks for being here today, Scott. Thank you, Matt. That was a mouthful, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I had to kind of pick and choose for the intro there because there's a lot of things that you've done in your career, and uh, I know uh, I know you have a lot of cool stories. We were just talking about uh, one of them here uh, just before we turned on the mics, uh, but I wanted to go back even further from that. You've lived in Utah your whole life. Can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up? Yeah, uh, it's like my family situation. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was the misfit kid that okay. uh, didn't fit in very well. You know, I, I always felt like I was on the... The outside looking in. That's pretty much how I grew up, you know, yeah, jumping relate. on the trampoline out and back by myself day after day <laughs> after day. Yeah. And, and you started your own uh, your own job. You created your first <laughs> job you ever had. How old were you? Yeah, I was probably, I was nine or ten years old. Okay. And I remember these little green business cards that I made. Nice. Had a picture of a kid pushing a lawnmower on him. And uh, yeah, it was Scott's Odd Jobs. I took business cards to every house in the neighborhood. Sounds like uh, that was a fruitful endeavor. Uh, it, I don't remember much else beyond that, yeah. <laughs> okay. There were, there were a few bad odd jobs, but... Uh, Any big lessons you took away from that first job? Actually, yeah. Um, there, there was a life lesson there that I learned, and, and the life lesson was always, always uh, bid your job before you give a price. Okay. And, uh, I remember this, uh, this, this old, old grandma neighbor of ours uh, called me and asked if I would weed her garden. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. It's $10. I charge $10 to weed gardens. And, you know, everyone had kind of the same size garden, except for her. So I went over to her house, and uh, it was probably an acre. And it wasn't even a garden. It was just four-foot-tall weeds. Oh, my God. And I did it. Took me a week and a half, full-time work. And uh, the thanks I got was, thanks, here's your $10. <laughs> I've been angry ever since. <laughs> hey, but I bet you didn't make that mistake again. No, sir, I didn't. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I may have even quit after that. Okay. Well, and I'm guessing um, there was something about technology that really uh, caught your interest. You know, maybe not, not having to get the blisters on your hands uh, might, might have been part of the draw. But do you remember when you first kind of caught that first spark of interest in tech? You know, um, I was a technology troublemaker in junior high. Okay, tell me um, about that. So our school was a pilot school for 
these new things called personal computers. So sorry, that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> hey, but what a cool benefit to be yeah, on the bleeding edge of everything. But I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't really a tech guy. But you know, I was like the first guy who figured out in typing class that you could copy and paste. So I totally rocked the typing class, yeah. <laughs> and um, I figured out how to, how to reprogram my math teacher's computer so that it would give wrong math answers during the presentation. Nice. And I loved correcting the wrong answers. Um, and so that was, you know, I, that was my earliest entry into technology, but I really didn't, the light didn't go off for quite a while. In fact, I graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in Near Eastern Studies. Oh, no kidding. Which is probably about as far away from technology as you can get. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember part of a senior project spending time translating the Dead Sea Scrolls from Hebrew into English. So it's very non-techy. But has probably come in very handy. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if people ask me all the time, so why did you do that? Yeah. And it taught me how to think. I, I think sure. I solved problems. Sure. Better. Now that makes a lot of sense. I mean, now that you say it, it didn't make sense at first. Right, but, uh, yeah. No, that's very cool. And so, so you kind of got exposed to this early on. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you started to kind of put the two together. You got this entrepreneurial roots as a kid. You're getting exposed to technology. Now you know how to translate Hebrew. <laughs> right, <laughs> how did yeah. That all kind of What's come? the next logical step? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was... Uh, out of college, since there are no jobs in whatever it was I was doing, um, I I was working as a kind of part-time graphic designer okay. through college. And when I graduated, I wanted to start a digital video production company. Mm -hmm. So again, old school, um, everybody was doing video editing on tapes back at the time. And computers were like a new way that you could look at how you do video production. And that really caught my attention and interest. And uh, I remember I spent $16,000 on 64 megabytes of RAM, wow. which was the maximum amount of RAM you could put in a computer at oh the time. And I started working on this digital video and that was a complete, um, well, I just let's just say I sort of had this vision of myself as a wedding videographer and I didn't <laughs> want to go that direction. so. I sold it to a company who hired me to do their marketing. Oh. And uh, as part of that marketing, the, uh, this was 1995, 96. The internet was this brand new thing and hardly any companies had websites. And it seemed to me like, hey, um, this internet thing could be a marketing tool. Yeah. And I just jumped in and learned how to how to make a website, and I learned how to write uh, write software using Perl and CGI scripts. Oh this my was gosh. really, you know, street cred right there. This is yeah, yeah. this is bad times. <laughs> um, and wrote a little e-commerce thing so that this company could sell their their video training online, and and I just loved the technology part of it. Like yeah. it was, I just, it seemed like I had endless energy for for learning and, and it always, figuring it out. Did it always come natural to you or did you kind of hit some stumbling blocks along the way? Um, yeah, I'd like to say it, it came pretty naturally. Yeah. Like I think I had a, just, I don't know, my DNA just kind of worked, like I kind of get it. So, yeah. um, 
yeah, from there, uh, after that company, I uh, started a, a agency with a, it was a creative agency that was focused on web solutions and did you have that idea for the agency while you were still working in that that first job yeah well so i could tell you some stories but let's just say that company went bankrupt and, oh my and the fbi was involved so oh wow um, yeah and, and i was Luckily not the out, founder not right in, yes. That's no, good. yeah i got out with everything but a couple of paychecks oh, um, wow. but lesson learned yeah another lesson yeah <laughs> and but speaking about culture yeah. man I learned like the entire book of how not to on culture at this company. So what were some, awesome. of, the, what were some of the pages out of that oh, playbook? Well, you could you could write a book. Um, hey, that that company fired people over the PA. No way. Yeah, like when they would like if you would ask about your paycheck, you're pretty certain to get fired over the PA. Wow. Um, so yeah, you know there were some interesting and hilarious stories. Just a little bit toxic. Yeah. yeah. Um, we used to race each other to the bank on on payday because only the first four or five people would get their their checks cashed. No way. Yeah, and everyone else would have to wait. Oh my gosh. To lose money. Um, That's brutal. Yeah, traumatizing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So well, that I, company I mean, like totally went belly up and foreshadowing. You know, no surprise. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got in building web solutions, marketing solutions yeah. on the web, and this agency grew. And as we had, you know, dozens of employees, um, we needed to understand like who's doing what and how much more work could we do, and is there work we're doing that's good and profitable, and work we're doing that's not good and not profitable, and. We wanted our, our customers to have really visibility into the work we were doing for them. And so yeah. I started kind of nights and weekends writing some software that could actually do this thing because at the time Microsoft Project was not going to uh, be the solution for that. Yeah. What year was this and about? This was um, 1999 okay. to 2000. So um, after working on that for about a year and a half, uh, rolled it out to some of our clients at the agency, and they're like, hey, this is cool software. Where did you buy it? Oh, nice. So for me, that's so really, that you know, I, I never considered myself an entrepreneur at all until that point where I had an opportunity to uh, split from the agency, took sort of the, the IP and and uh, left the agency with, with my partners and Was started this decision? little... Yeah, it was because I had um, had three kids at the time, oh, wow. little young kids, and a mortgage. Yeah, and uh, had to had to uh, you know strike out and and uh, went without paycheck for a year and a half, and yeah. nobody would let nobody would uh, give us money because Microsoft was going to destroy us and all that. By the way, Microsoft's a customer of this company now. Oh wow, that's um, amazing. But uh, yeah, so so um, you, were, you were pitching it in late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. Is early 2000s. It be, was like 2001. It's a rough time to be in tech. Exactly. So yeah. this thing was a company called AtTask, yeah. and um, you know it was a uh, boy. It was it was this, you know it was bootstrapped. It was difficult. Um, we had some crazy experiences uh, going in and making promises over the phone and then writing code all night long to go do the pitch the next day of what we had just promised uh, and yeah. trying to win deals. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors early on and made it happen. And that company now is 1,300 employees. It's really dominating the enterprise work management space. Yeah. Um, 
tons of you know great people work there smartest people very humble beginnings for sure bootstrapped all the way bootstrapped up to 2007 okay yeah so yeah. brought in first VC uh, in 2007 nice what was that hard decision it was um, yes and no I mean yeah. We were trying to compete with companies that had already raised 30 to $60 million. Sure. We've got this little team just barely uh, like doing everything we can just to stay at parity with the market. Yeah. And we wanted to be more than just parity. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to be leaders yeah. in the space. And that required taking some capital and, and uh, really jump-starting you know, beyond what we could do organically. What changed between 2000 and 2007 in terms of uh, your ease of raising funding? Uh, um, yeah, interesting. Several million dollars of ARR um, <laughs> yeah. probably. It's is. interesting how that can change yeah, the investment. Exactly. Yeah, nobody had any vision until we were actually winning. Yeah. Or at least making progress. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. How, did that change the culture at all when you went from a bootstrapped team to now... We're playing with other people's money? It did. Um, first of all, you know, I, I look back and, and uh, I've made plenty of mistakes through, through this whole thing too. But one thing when you bring in the VC money is you're stepping into a new stream, right? That's yeah. running at a new, um, there's a new current. And <laughs> sure. um, you got to be like, you got to be ready for that. And I, I think a lot of young entrepreneurs, I know I was one that, the investors, they know everything, right? They have all the right answers. And you look at them like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> and th- what you don't know from, from the flip side, because now I invest in companies too. Okay. And, and you see some investors, it's like, hey, we're going to place a bet on you. And, and we're really going to push you to swing for the fences or just die. Yeah. You know? And, it's all or nothing. Uh, it's all or nothing. And uh, fortunately, the group that came in to, to um, work front early there was Open View out of Boston, and they were pretty practical and yeah. pragmatic about sure. it. And so it was, it was good for us. But from my perspective, I felt this pressure of, oh, my gosh, you know, we've, we've now got to make a return. We've got to do this. And it, it really caused me to take myself so seriously mm. and uh, that can be bad for culture you know you because sure? every little problem you've got some board members that are like why don't you just fire them you know why don't you just hire better people mm. and like that kind of changes your outlook on your little team that you've got right sure. like every time there's a problem you got people saying how come you didn't just fire them already and get somebody better um and so that was you know i would I, that was a little difficult I'm sure. On the culture, I think. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, any advice for founders who are going through that now? Heck yeah, I do. You know more than you think you know. Yeah. As a founder, you know, like, the core DNA of your company. You're the one with the vision. Like, don't let somebody convince you that you don't know that. Mm-hmm. And just have, have more confidence in yourself. Yeah. That's good advice. Uh, if, if there's anything you could do differently, is that what you would do differently? Or is there anything... Besides having a little more confidence in yourself? Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely, that would be probably top of my list. Is, yeah. You know, look, realize that your gut is probably right more than you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it seems like it worked out pretty well. You, you said 1,300 customers now? 1,300 employees. Oh, employees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So they're doing really well. That's great. 
Yeah. And so is that now what is now Workfront? Yes. Okay. And yeah, I went through a little rebranding exercise yeah. in uh, like 2012-ish, 2013. Yeah. What were some of the other bigger cultural milestones? I, I mean... That's a big. That's a big one. Raising funding. Yeah. Um, where did you see the other kind of like natural sort of like shifts into the next chapter, or or was it really like the culture that you had at that time? Did that scale all the way through to thirteen hundred employees? No, that's an excellent question. Um, we were always very focused on. We always wanted to be a, like the best place to work and have work be. I mean, part of the reason that company even exists is because. It's important that our time at work counts for something, yeah. right? And yeah. so um, culture is, kind of follows that naturally as well. And, and we wanted to have the, the strong culture. And what, what um, I learned along the way is there are some points. There's a point where you have like 70 employees where you start to have a couple layers of management now. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's really easy to lose a little bit of the core. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there, how might that manifest? Um, how it manifests with me because we didn't have a defined culture. Mm-hmm. Like as the CEO, no I, I knew, you know, we all knew, hey, we're all like smart and we're good and we're out to go win. Yeah. So um, as you start to grow and, and with the VC money, you start to look outside your backyard and you start to accelerate some of the growth. And so um, we're starting to meet people that are, you know, a bigwig sales guy from Microsoft or a bigwig professional services leader from IBM, or you get these stars in your eyes and you're like, come on and join our team. And they bring their own culture with them. Sure. And if you don't have it defined, which we didn't have it defined, what you can end up with is little subcultures in mm-hmm. your company. And um, saw that happen. And uh, when that starts to happen, it's actually really hard to to unwind from. Yeah, um, What's it's that really like? hard to make that change. It's because you're, it's it, culture starts with hiring people who resonate with what that culture is. Yeah, you know, you go join the banner that inspires you, right? Sure. You change the banner, and it's not like, oh no, I'm inspired by a new banner. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, it just yeah. It's it's a long process to kind of make that change, and and uh, that was that was a definitely a critical point that going from like seventy to one fifty yeah. in about a year, oh, you wow. know, yeah, um, it's a big growth. It's a, that can take a culture hit, and then as you start to expand into multiple locations, that's another sort of cultural milestone sure. where now things need to be so. Um, operationalized and, and part of the part of the core that the company can sustain. For example, an office in Armenia with seventy people, or an office in London with seventy people, and still be you would recognize a, a work fronter. You know whether you're in Utah or in a remote office somewhere. Yeah. And so that was uh, that's that's another probably big culture milestone. Do those offices feel the same, they like, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when, similar when you walk energy. Work front office in Armenia versus work, yeah. work in a work front office in Utah. You'll feel same like the same vibe. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've done as CEO to uh, make sure that that happens? Yeah. Um, so and by the way, I uh, I 
hired a, a CEO in 2012. Yes, when, when, when you were a CEO. Yes. yes. So um, we, in, we invested in making sure that um, there's ample face time yep. between offices. So bringing people out, sending people out, uh, making sure that there's time together, making sure that even remote locations have a clear vision of where the company is headed and their key role in it and making sure they understand what they do is important and then um, identifying those values and, and articulating them and making sure they're reinforced regularly and um, uh, you know at higher time and, and beyond. Yeah. You know I was interviewing board candidates um, and one board candidate I remember we were driving back from the airport and he said you know Scott there's one thing that is responsible for about 40% of your company's success. Do you know what that is? I'm like, I don't know. Um, how about you tell me? <laughs> and so he did, and he said, culture is responsible for 40% of your entire success. Hmm. And to me, that was like, at that time, that was kind of a wake-up, because I wasn't... I had sort of made a lot of assumptions that, hey, we're, you know, hire good people, we're smart, you know, it's, it's all good. And uh, I have since learned that, that A, that is absolutely true, and B, the CEO owns it. Yeah. And C, um, that CEO in owning it needs to articulate to the company very regularly the, what the true north vision of the company is yeah. and what those unique attributes and values are that really inspire people to be, you know, on the same team. Yeah. How how did that how did you personally connect to those things that you then connected to the team? What was it about Workfront's mission and values? Um, how, how did those connect to you personally? So they kind of came from me. Yeah. They kind of like are part of my DNA. Yeah. And same thing with Motivosity too. Um, you know, we have very unique values, and sure. those uh, those have come because uh, they're. Like, they're important to me. Like, I, I see them as sort of recipe for life success. Yeah. Yep. Um, how did you go about doing that at uh, Workfront? And I definitely want to talk about Motivosity because I, I love the product, and I want to talk a little bit about the product too. But yeah, at, at Motivosity, you were saying at, at 70 employees, or sorry, at uh, Workfront, you were saying yeah. at, at 70 employees, that's where you started to kind of first realize okay maybe we need to define some of this stuff so that it scales with us yeah it was probably it was probably about that time yeah how did you go about doing that did you just kind of go into a conference room uh write some things down in your notebook and come out and say these are core values so um we really kind of know what we did was because it hadn't been drawn up officially beforehand we really spent a lot of time with the employees and and other long-term members of the executive team yeah. and asking questions like, okay, who are we really? Like if you were to describe, your, if you were to look out here and describe the, per, the typical person you see sitting here, you know, what are the words? Like what, what comes to mind? Like what is the attitude of this company mm -hmm. toward solving problems? And, you know, like one of our, one of our values was no jerks. And it really was a result of, the fact that, 
you don't like leadership doesn't abuse the people under them and berate them or steal their ideas and get credit for them or you know treat them like they're any like a subordinate they're the ones doing the work right right and uh, so people felt really comfortable in this level playing environment um, yeah I like that yeah, maybe a little too level. I remember being in a, <laughs> I just remembered a meeting. We had a, an intern, like a, a software development intern in this, and it was like a small town hall type meeting. And um, I was sharing an idea for something, and this guy goes, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and... Uh, Take about, um, talk about psychological yeah, safety. Yeah, and I know that guy because he's gone on to do a very successful TEDx um, talk about rejection, and he's a good friend, and oh, that's still great. know who he is. But it's just like that's a hilarious example that like an intern would tell the CEO, yeah, like that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you get once you had your core values. At what point did you realize um, you needed to kind of create uh, sort of a set of activities and actions around those core values? Where did you start to kind of get this idea for what, and, I, and I'm, you know, uh, tipping my hand a little bit here, but how did you get the idea for Motivosity? Yeah, so, um, you know, we worked on, so when I, uh, when I exited the day-to-day at Workfront, yeah. we had unlimited PTO, we had the break room, we had the game room, we had 401k, we did full insurance, we had company parties, we did picnics, we had the beloved company dodgeball tournament. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, we did all these things that I thought, we had the quarterly meeting with the MVP awards and every department recognized somebody and and uh, we had the, you know... Um, You're doing just, the playbook. We're doing the playbook. Yeah. And so everybody should be thrilled, right? Yeah. Like they should just be thrilled about being there. It's a company that's growing fast, doing all the right things, cares about its people. And as I stepped out of um, day to day, I started hearing from some of my favorite top talent there comments like, yeah, it doesn't feel special anymore. Or, I'm not really sure anybody who knows what I'm doing. I think I might look for another opportunity. And that's the worst. A, because how can you spend your whole day, every day, like your waking hours on something that you actually feel like maybe nobody cares what you do? Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. Or you don't even and care about it. Yeah. And it doesn't feel, it just feels like a job and doesn't feel special. Um, and so that really started bugging me. And, uh, you know, to me, I think that there's a way that you can use technology is, is good and bad. Like sometimes, you know, tech founders, they're a solution looking for a problem. And <laughs> um, if people aren't trying to solve a, a problem already, you know, tech, all it does is optimize whatever people are trying to do on their own. Yep. And the problem that companies at scale have is that you have a, we don't pay managers to be touchy-feely, nice people. We pay them to get results, right? Yep. So that's one problem. The other problem is that um, in companies you have pockets of 
good managers and pockets of bad managers. I mean, and it's always going to be that way because we get our managers from a pool of individual contributors and just because you know how to do the job doesn't mean you know how to help others succeed at doing the job. So sure. that's a fact of life. So the question is, is there a way that we can wrap the company so that um, whether an employee has a good or bad experience isn't dependent on whether they have a good or bad manager? And there is a way to do it and the things that do that aren't that hard to do and hence Motivosity was born. So. Um, started working on that really as a result of being bugged enough to like wake up every morning at two o'clock um, just like anxious to get started on this problem. How, how did you start what, once you had the idea what was sort of that first step to kind of start testing that idea and, and, and working a little bit? Yeah so the whole history of the company has been kind of a set of go no go decisions okay. and the first go no go decision was um, a hypothesis around I think that companies will spend money to have a better culture like and not just hey let's throw a bigger party because let's face it when big successful VC funded company has an awesome party and invites the it band to come play it's marketing right they're not doing that because they love their employees right. I mean they say they are but it, they're showing off Right. Um, sorry if you've done that. <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, are they really willing to spend money for authentic benefit to the employees? And so that took a little bit of research and, mm. and talking to people I knew and trying to figure out, like, where their mindset was and, and, and where their heart was. And then the, the next uh, kind of no-go go decision was, okay, the way that this is going to work is a little bit counterintuitive and it involves really a lot of elements of positive psychology and, and, and sort of authentic, authentically turning the reins of culture over to the employees. Remember, we're trying to wrap the, you know, wrap the company so that we're not dependent on a top-down approach yeah. for culture. Absolutely. Which means you have to empower employees. And the way that you empower them, at least in a little bit, in motivosity is by giving them some money. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it has to be some money or it won't work. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's cold hard currency that you use to appreciate people around the organization. And that accrues. And the other part of it is that you have to be able to spend it on whatever you want. Like you have to be able to get an Amazon gift card and not just only use it to buy a company swag or office supplies. Right. Or that ruins it too. So um, that was very counterintuitive, especially six years ago. There were a lot of organizations that were still running the playbook of more parties, more soda, more, you know, bigger break room. What? You want us to give our employees money? No way. Hmm. And so it took a little bit to kind of get past, all right, we think... We think companies will do this. We think they'll buy it. Now the next decision was, all right, will people actually use it? And to do that, you have to build it. Yeah. Um, you have to build it in a way that, uh, uh, you know, we all have day jobs and we're all, we're all busy and nobody wants to learn another piece of software. And so it has to be something that is so easy, it doesn't need to be learned. And it has to drive so much value in somebody's life that they actually want to go use it. They can't, 
have to be reminded and threatened or bribed to go use it. They have to just want to go use it. So, did you have any customers um, teed up? Uh, we did, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So you're, you're kind of like, all right, these people have dollars, they're willing to spend them, or maybe they've even committed dollars, and now it's time to build it. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, what was the biggest insight once you started building the software? What was what were some of the bigger like aha moments as you're kind of seeing people use it uh, that, that maybe you didn't expect? Um, so I actually, I was really, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I was like, this is a, this is a hard challenge, like getting people to actually use something on their own. Yeah. And probably, I think for me, the biggest aha on that one was um, we had a test customer, and I, they were about 800 employees. And they're like, okay, so how do we launch this so that everyone's going to use it? And I said, here's what we're going to do. You're not going to tell anybody you're launching it. We're just going to turn it on and watch it for a while. And um, so that was their launch. They just turned it on. No announcement, nothing. And within three weeks, they had 98% of their employees using it on a regular basis. Wow. And so for me, that was, and that was, you know, 800 people. It was kind of at scale. Um, for me, that told me that, okay, this thing, this is going to be good. Yeah. And that had uh, pretty good. Yeah, no, really, for sure. And then, of course, the next one is, all right, but will people keep using it? Because yeah. it could get tired after a month or two months. Novelty effect. Yeah, exactly. So that question took, uh, you know, a year really to answer. Um, And watching people after a year, they're just as strong or stronger. So then that was a check mark. And then the next question is, will the business recognize any value from this? Mm. Um, And that's a go, no go too, because you can have something that's awesome in every other way. And if the business is like, meh, doesn't do anything for us um you're going to be struggling to sell over and over and over and it's going to be ugly and not very fun so um uh we were able to get real data real results from customers who were able to i mean we started hearing things like this is the best investment we've ever made um started hearing how they justify that investment, started seeing HR leaders going to new companies and bringing this in on like day one nice. of their new job. That's great. So we knew, all right, this is, the companies are seeing that this is something that is key for their company. Yeah. So then after that, it's like learn how to sell it and learn how to scale it. And that's where we are right now is learning how to scale it. Well, and I definitely want to talk about that, but, but just talk me through like a use case today. So I, I'm an employee uh, at Workfront. I yeah. Know, I don't know if Workfront's a customer or not. They do, but, but they I, were not our first customer. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't bring myself to take it over there if it was no good. Sure. <laughs> sure. So how, how would Workfront, if I'm a, an employee at Workfront, how would I use Motivocity? Yeah. So the, the, uh, the, the core of the software is a peer-to-peer recognition platform. Okay. So what will happen is you'll get a little welcome and the company will have decided that you get a certain amount of money every month that you can use to say thanks to people. What's the average range that companies? It's, it's five bucks. Five per, bucks a month. Five bucks per employee per month. Okay. Right. So you think that's like too small to make a meaningful difference, but data shows if it's if you do five, ten, twenty, thirty, 
it's the same participation. Wow. Now, if you do less than five, it starts to go down. Yep. Um, so five is really the kind of magic number there. So not a lot of, not a ton of money. Um, but what you'll do is get on, get on Motivocity. You'll fill out a, a profile that includes a, a, a personality profile. You, you fill out, it's a tag cloud of your interests, um, your, your key responsibilities in the company, just a little about yourself, a little history. Uh, and what that really does is helps you connect to other people mm -hmm. in the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have this uh, central area, which is like, who do you, who do you appreciate? Yeah. And when you go to appreciate somebody, the company values are right there in front of you. So, you know, hey, values, team spirit, uh, whatever, like, or no jerks, right? Yeah. You might be like, hey, man, my boss came in and had a correction but was super nice about it. I'm going to be like, hey, so appreciated the constructive criticism yesterday. Here's a buck, no jerks, hit submit. What's going to happen is that person's team is going to see it, that person's boss up the chain is going to see it, other people are going to, are going to see it, they can comment on it, they can throw in a dollar of their own if they want. Um, and uh, that person, of course, that money uh, accumulates and you use it for you know, whatever, whatever you want, whether it's uh, every time you... You save up to five bucks, you go get a Starbucks card, or you you know buy a guitar or something on Amazon. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's the core. There's some other components to it that really drive that stickiness, and there are some tools that help managers do ongoing, regular, constructive feedback and sort of give them a framework where they can um, know the questions they should be yeah. asking and how they can do that without being this awkward negative experience that so many people have with their managers. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, six, seven years ago, the market not really being there. Yet. Yeah. It really seems like, just in general, uh, a lot more companies are putting emphasis on culture, um, putting much bigger emphasis on employee engagement. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing, you know, being now square and center of that industry. Yeah, so um, seriously, we sort of had a, uh, a joke in the office about 2015. In fact, okay, I'll tell you two things here. Um, in 2015, it seriously felt like we could make more money selling nuclear waste than we could selling our software. Like, it was impossible to wow. sell this thing. And uh, customers were few and far between. Um, Leads were kind of few and far between as well. And I, as I was looking at it, you know, go to market seemed like maybe we're going to be a play that's for 50 to 150 employees. And maybe it's just not going to get beyond that because that's just where the mindset was at the time. Yeah. Um, How did you get through those times? Well, well, we did the brilliant thing of 2016. Our software was free for everybody. Wow. And that didn't work either, so don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the, that was a huge what was the thought process there? The thought process was, hey, just figure out where the barriers are. Okay. And, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's a budgetary thing, sure, if people aren't... Because sure. we know once they get in it, they are just going to love it, right? So how do we get people in it easy? Free. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a bigger cost, at least when you, you look at something that's supposed to be getting all of your employees point in a direction yeah it's the it's the political capital needed to pull that initiative off it's not the money yeah and um, um, that's where 
And that's back to the struggle of companies just aren't there yet. Like CEOs, like, no, that's stupid. Why would we do that? Right. And um, but now it's really taken off the last probably two years, maybe a little bit more than two years. But it is just going shift? crazy. Um, I don't know. It's like. Uh, it could be that millennials are getting into more managerial positions in companies. That's probably a driver for it. Uh, gig economy, digital transformation is, is uh, definitely a driver for it. You know, you're trying to put separate teams together as a common culture, that, and that's a tough thing to do. And I think the playbook is wearing, its, wearing out its welcome. Like, we talk to more companies that come to us and say, we've tried everything else mm -hmm. and um, we need something that drives results. And so now it's not just companies 50 to 150. No, it's like companies that are like 10, 20,000 employees are wow. actually waking up and saying, yeah, it's worth an investment in an individual if they're happier about being here. Yeah. What, what is it about um, culture other than like the warm and fuzzies? That, that gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> um, so, A, what gets me out of bed is that I, I really care about making our time count. Yeah. Like, to me, I don't know what it is about my DNA, but that's just what I am. So, I care that the people around me, like, aren't wasting their time and, and that they're, they're engaged in something that's, that's meaningful and, and that matters and that they feel like a sense of... of uh, accomplishment and, and, and pride in what they do. So, so that causes me to really care that, that companies have happy employees. And so that's really what we're focused on is um, helping people be happy about being at work. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw the national stats recently and it's 86% uh, of people say they're not passionate about their job. Yeah, and you know what? That number has not changed in yeah, 20 years. It's crazy. It hasn't changed one bit. Yeah. And look at all the things that companies have done in the last 20 years to try and change that number. Yeah. 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 That might just be hedonic adaptation right there of us get, getting used to the new norm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. It could be. Um, us humans are weird. Um, but uh, speaking about culture... Can you talk to me a little bit about, um, before we wrap here, I'm, I'm very curious to hear kind of a little bit more. I, I certainly have some friends in the Salt Lake City area and that, that sort of tech hub that's really seems to be booming right now. But um, it sounds like you've started your past several companies there. Yeah. Um, what have you seen change there and, and what's it like today? You know, what I love, I, so A, I love Utah. And when I was trying to raise money um, in 2007, we had plenty of offers that said, hey, come move to Silicon Valley and we'll fund your company. Right. And uh, didn't, you know, didn't want to go that way. And the, Why was the, that? The, re the reason I love Utah, A, it's a, the coolest state ever. There's so much to do. I mean, yeah. you know, like mountain biking or hiking. Or, it's beautiful. Like, there's so much variety. But um, the, the community culture, it really is, is meaningful in Utah. And, and I would contrast it... You know, Silicon Valley, it's like your life is your company. Yeah. You know, and it's all about just winning. And in Utah, it's about having a fulfilling life. And your job is part of that, but it's one part of a, a bigger equation that is family and 
and community and, and outdoors if you're outdoorsy too. And, and so there's more allowance for that in, in Utah. <clears throat> Some people might look at that and say we're, we're lazy, but you know, look, there are great companies that are growing out of Utah and I, their employees are happier yeah. because of that balance. Um, thousands of tech companies in Utah right now, right? Yeah, there are a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, has that always been the case or has that been more kind of in the recent years? Um, it has always been the case. Um, what what I think has changed in recent years, I remember trying to recruit executives. Yeah, yeah. And seriously, it was, people would say, I will work anywhere but Utah. <laughs> so since you're in Utah, I'm not interested. Wow. And it would happen all the time, anywhere but Utah. Well, now there's enough of a, uh, a tech presence that it's pretty compelling. I mean, you can look down the street and see just all these name brand companies that you know, and they're right there. So you know there's a career opportunity. And, uh, uh, you know, I think people are sensing that, hey, there, there actually is something to this, this concept that uh, life is more than just go dominate at your job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I certainly subscribe to that. It feels To me, it feels Midwest. Yeah. Um, you, know, having yeah you guys are like that here, right? Up in the Midwest, yeah. But I, but it's it's cool uh, it's cool to hear about it. I definitely want to get plugged into. I visited Utah for vacation, but I have not visited yet for business. So I I'm, I'm eager to get in, plug in a little bit more. Well, when you come out, uh, we'll show you around. Yeah, that'd be great. Good. Well, hey uh, Scott, I really appreciate you sharing your story here today, and uh, I'm excited about what you're doing with Motivasi. We're, we're looking forward to using it on the Powder Cake team. Right on. Um, and we'll we'll definitely uh, share more about it in our experience. Good, Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, and to wrap, I just want to say that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Huge thank you to Scott Johnson for coming in today uh, here in Indianapolis at Powder Keg headquarters. Be sure to check out Scott and his company, Motivocity, at motivocity.com. We're going to link it all up in the show notes at powderkeg.com, as well as links to all the resources and companies we talked about here uh, today on the show. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders outside of Silicon Valley, please make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.